0: We're going to now turn our attention to the Word of God. Uh, we do this each week. We are in the book of Matthew. Uh, this is a bit of a departure. We have been in uh, Matthew, actually been in Luke for a long time, but now we find ourselves in Matthew, and that's because we're working our way through the Christmas story, and the part that has to do with Joseph uh, is in Matthew. And so we are in Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. And uh, last week we looked at Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. Today we focus on Joseph, the adoptive uh, earthly father of Jesus. And like motherhood, fatherhood is overwhelming. I'm not sure if you, I mean, if you're not a dad, you might, I mean, you know this probably intellectually, but what we see in the Bible is that to be a, uh, a faithful father means that you are willing to uh, sort of sacrifice yourself uh, in every way. And one of the The best pictures that we have of this, uh, I think, is uh, from a TV series that's long past now, but you might know it, called A Little House on the Prey. Has anyone watched A Little House on the Prey? I had never watched A Little House on the Prey until I married my wife Dawn, and I she bought the box set of 10 Seasons. It's on for 10 Seasons, and it's in the shape of a covered wagon, which is fantastic. So you open the covered wagon, and you get to see all the you know, adventures of the Ingalls family. Now, uh, the very first episode is, really shows the epitome of a godly husband and father, because uh, the Ingalls family arrives in Walnut Grove. There's uh, just a prairie, right? Not much there, a little town. And they have to establish their life together. Now, of course, they're all working at it, Ma and Pa, but for Pa... He does three things every day. He goes into town, firstly, and he negotiates. They won't give him credits. We need seed for his, he's going to plant a crop. And so he says, well, I will fix the barn, the roof's all caved in, where the seed is stored, if you give me some seed. They say, great. So every morning he goes there and he starts working on the roof of the barn. Then he takes the seed, he goes home to his plot of land, and he plows the field, he plants all day long in the hot sun, Usually his shirt is off, which I'm not sure why, but he always has suspenders and his shirt off. Okay, and then uh, in the evening he builds a house for his family. So this is his. This is what he does. A- as a man, you just feel totally inadequate. You're like, I think I went to the park today. I kind of watched some TV. But he. So he works morning till night to establish his family. That level of of sacrifice and sort of expending himself for his family is in fact what we see. In the Bible, when it comes to being a husband and father, and in the life of Joseph, we see this as well, that he is a faithful man of God. Uh, Faithful, what we see at the beginning, to the call uh, to be a husband. He's a husband to be. He's faithful there, but also to the unexpected and extreme command of God, which calls him to be a father to Jesus himself. So we're going to look at this text through the lens of, of faithful living and what it means to be faithful to all the ways in which God has, has called us, the commands that he puts on our lives as individuals who are following the Lord. So if you're a person of faith, those will be instructive for you. If you're not yet a person of faith, I think it'll be helpful to see how it is that God uh, leads us and encourages us to, to be faithful in our life. So uh, verse 18 is how the word begins. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So that's God's word to us this morning. Obviously, everything to do with Joseph and our big statement, our big idea statement is going to be really about his response in this situation. We see through him that a faithful life is one of compassion and obedience. We see it in Joseph. It's two things that we are called to in our life of faith. And these are two things which anticipate the character of Christ himself. So let's begin just by clarifying kind of the the context here. Verse 18. We see uh, the introduction, the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So just to uh, get clear in our minds, kind of the sequence of events, uh, we have a timeline here, which I think might be helpful. Uh, If you were with us three weeks ago, we began with the angel visiting Zechariah. And so the angel visited Zechariah and said, your wife, Elizabeth, even though she's very old, is going to have a child. That child is John the Baptist, and in fact, that's what happened. Elizabeth conceives and have a, has, is pregnant for about six months, and then the angel visits Mary. We saw that last week, where the angel comes and says to Mary, you are going to have a child, a miraculous conception, and you're, just to encourage you, your, your cousin Elizabeth, she is already with child, even though she's in her old age. And so Mary does conceive by the Holy Spirit, and then very soon after, she goes to visit Elizabeth. Because she wants to, to see what God has done. Uh, the Bible tells us she's there for about three months. So I think that probably about four months between the time that the angel visits Mary, takes a bit of time to get there, then she returns. And this is where our passage begins. Mary has returned, four months have passed. Mary and Joseph are already betrothed. That means they're already engaged. And back in that day, the marriage process was a two step process, there are two ceremonies. We kind of have this today. If you're going to ask someone to marry you, there's a bit of a, you know, an engagement celebration. You pop the question, you have a ring, you post it on Instagram, everyone rejoices and celebrates. It's, it's not really much of a ceremony, uh, but back in that day, it would be a real weighty thing. So the families would come together, they would sign a certificate of marriage, which would legally bind Joseph and Mary uh, together. They would be considered a husband and wife, but they wouldn't live together yet and wouldn't sleep together yet. Uh, For about 12 months, they would be betrothed, they'd be engaged. And during that time, uh, it was a time of proving and preparing. So the preparing was Joseph would probably be building a house. He was a carpenter, so more than likely he'd be building a house for he and Mary, took a long time. The proving part was both of them kind of showing their integrity, showing their faithfulness and their fidelity, that they they were a godly man and a godly woman, there wasn't anything else going on, and that they were only for each other. So that's where they were when Mary left. And when Mary returns, that's still where Joseph is. But things have gone horribly wrong, apparently, for Mary. Because as Mary steps off the cart, whatever brought her back from Elizabeth, everyone can see that she is now with child. And that means that she has not proven herself to be faithful. She has proven herself to be unfaithful. She is not a woman that Joseph can marry. She has someone else's baby. She might have tried to explain what God had done, but no one would believe her. And so in Joseph's mind, uh, there was really only one thing to do. The marriage needed to be dissolved. And because they're legally bound together, that means a divorce. But Joseph had two options before him. He could divorce her publicly, which would be the clearest option, meaning he would declare, look, accuse her of adultery in the public square. Everyone would come around, there'd be a trial. She was clearly pregnant. So we know what, what they would find. She was She was guilty of adultery. They would be separated. Joseph's honor would be intact, but Mary would endure a lot of public shaming. There was another way, and Joseph was leaning towards this other way, a more private way. And that's what we see in verse 19. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, the other way was was more of just a private thing that could be done. And that meant that people would come together, those who knew them, their families, and they would write out a certificate of divorce. They wouldn't have to uh, explain why. Everyone would just sign it, so it was witnessed, and legally, now they are separated. And that would achieve what, what was needed to be done in this situation, it was Joseph to distance himself from Mary, but it was an act of compassion, because Mary would not be subject to public ridicule and shame She could probably would have to go to another village where people wouldn't know exactly what happened and she could live her life in peace. The thing is that for Joseph to do that, he would kind of be, um, he would be taking a hit in terms of his own reputation. Because when you do things privately, people talk, especially in a small town, right? People would be saying, what, what happened? What happened to the marriage? Why didn't, why didn't Joseph accuse her publicly? Why did they do it privately? What was Joseph's role in this? People would be gossiping and talking probably for the rest of his life. People would be, be wondering what was his role? What did he do? And so his honor would kind of be cast in shadow. But we see that Joseph was willing to do that, that he had compassion for Mary, that he was thinking more of her than of himself. And that compassion is a thing that we are called to as well. That the church is to be a people who are essentially compassionate, loving, kind to the people around us, even when we are in the right and they are in the wrong. And so for a moment, we're going to ask the question for our own sakes, like how did, how did Joseph arrive at that point of compassion? And how can I, as a follower of God, come to those same points in my life where I can show compassion to others? So two things we see in Joseph. The first is a small thing, but I think really helpful, and that's this. Joseph was compassionate because he didn't react quickly. Right? He, didn't, he didn't respond immediately out of the, the emotion that he would have felt. <clears throat> and just think for a moment how much emotion Joseph would have felt at, at that time when Mary got off the card and everyone found out she was pregnant. For at least three months prior to that time, Joseph has been working day and night, kind of like Paul Ingalls. He he probably had a job. He was a carpenter. But then in the evenings, he would be probably working on their home, which means that for three months, he was laboring hard. And he did it because of his love for Mary, because of his excitement about their new family, the life that they were going to live. He was probably really excited for Mary to come back from her trip and to see all the work he'd done. Right? He'd be able to proudly display his home and everyone would be excited. Wow, Joseph, you did such a good job. But none of that happened. Because when Mary got off the cart, it was like he got a kick in the teeth or in the gut or somewhere else. And he just felt everything fall apart. Because he had been working day and night for her. And he finds out that she's been unfaithful. And he probably thought to himself, I've been here. Why didn't you tell me? You clearly were pregnant before you left. I've been here making a fool of myself. Everyone thinks I'm a fool for working so hard. You've been unfaithful. In that moment, it would have been very, very difficult for him to be compassionate. It would have been very hard for him to not react as we all want to. In in anger, yelling, shouting, whatever, we know what it's like. When someone has betrayed us, when someone's hurt us. And in that moment, we're not thinking of them. What we're thinking is, I want you to feel as bad as I feel. I want things to be set right. And Joseph could have easily done that. He could have said right here. Now we're going to the village elders. You've committed adultery. That's not my child. And if he had done that, he would have been within his rights, but he doesn't. We can see in the text that, that he's been wrestling with this, right? It says there that he, he was unwilling. He's been thinking about it. Even in verse 20, it says that as he considered these things, he didn't react in the moment. Instead, he took a step back He went home maybe for a few days or even a few weeks. He's been thinking about what to do. And during that time, he was able to settle down. He was able to reflect on some probably pretty important things. It says there that he was a just man, meaning he knew the commands of God. He knew the character of God. And so he was no doubt able to think and pray in light of God's love for him. And that allowed him to come to a place of compassion, of love rather than acting an emotion out of his hurt. Let me just ask us, I mean, how much conflict do you think would be removed from our lives if we would just do this simple thing? If instead of reacting out of our emotions, out of our anger, out of our own hurt, if we, if we took a break from some situations and prayed and thought about it and then responded. How much better would our relationship be with those around us if we thought more, prayed more, and, and talked a lot less? See, what we see in Joseph is an example of great compassion, in part simply because he took some time to think about things before responding. But that's not the only thing he did. In fact, the depth of his compassion is rooted even more deeply in his own heart. We see the second thing about Joseph is that he was willing to sacrifice. Instead of thinking about what would be best for him, he thought about what would be best for Mary. He was humble, he was compassionate, and that led him to a point of sacrifice. He would have to sacrifice. His honor, his dignity, maybe some of his money because he had paid Mary's, uh, his, her father a bride price, a, called a mohar, and he wasn't sure if he would get all of that back. So Joseph was willing to absorb all of these costs, even though he was in the right, simply because he thought about Mary's situation. He realized what a difficult situation it was in, and he had compassion. It's really no surprise that God chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father, is it? I mean, he was a man of God, a good man, a loving man. And in a small way, he was doing for Mary what his adopted son would do in about 30 years at at the cross. He would display the, the love that Joseph had would be displayed most fully in Christ when through his compassion and his love for humanity, he came and he, he sacrificed himself on our behalf. That's the Easter story. But there's actually sacrifice to be seen here, even in the Christmas story. Because our text says that, that this baby is Emmanuel, God with us, which, which helps us to understand that Jesus is God the Son, the creator of the universe, come down in human form, which is an incredible uh, act of sacrifice a humbling of himself. In fact, we get a very uh, beautiful picture of this described in the book of Philippians. This is Paul speaking to the church, and uh, he, he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Now it's really hard for us to grasp, you know, what it is that Jesus gave up. I'm mean, using the glories of heaven, and he came down at, at that very moment. He was in Mary's womb, like maybe a few huts over in the village there. Jesus, the creative universe, was in Mary's tummy. That's an amazing condensation of infinity. That was a humbling that he was willing to undergo because of his love for us. It's hard for us to grasp that. It's equally hard for us to grasp the magnitude of his sacrifice on the cross. All the weight of sin, our sin that should rightfully be ours, placed on him. It's tough for us to quantify that. But there is a way to factor both of those things into the way that we treat others. And that's for us to truly know the compassion of Christ. So we see there in Philippians, uh, the instruction is to have this mind among yourselves. That mind is the mind of Christ. A mindset which thinks more keenly, is more keenly aware of the suffering of others rather than of ourselves. And that's exactly the mind that Christ had in coming to earth, in giving up all of that to come into a world of pain and sorrow and suffering. He did it because he loved us, because he cared for us, because he was not concerned with himself. That's the kind of compassion we also see in Joseph. That in this moment... He was thinking of Mary. And this is the kind of thing that we are called to as well. And that's, I think, a good question for us to ask. How easy it is, is it for us to respond with compassion? Like how, how clear in our minds is our own hurt versus the hurt of those around us? Or, or the, the difficulty of those around us? Is, do we take a moment to try to put ourselves in others' shoes, even those who've hurt us? And do we pray in light of what we see in Christ for for the kind of compassion that's necessary to truly honor God and help others? See, Joseph didn't have the example of his son Jesus yet, but he knew the character of God. And he knew that he was called in this moment to be compassionate to Mary. We see him being faithful there. And it's an amazing test of character, but that's not the end of the test. Things get even more complicated as if they could get more complicated. And they get more complicated because an angel appears. So we saw firstly that a faithful life is one of compassion. Now we're going to see that it's also one of obedience. We see this in verse 20 when Joseph is there. He's sort of decided what he's going to do. And then Gabriel appears. And here's what happens. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Gabriel basically outlines the plan just as he did to Mary. He said, look, there's going to be a child born, and this child will be the Messiah. That's that's what's being said here. Uh, He will save his people from their sins. Now, these are massive truths that have, I mean, this is the essence of the Christmas story that we are saved by the grace and compassion of God. But I want to focus again, just like we did on Mary, I want to focus on Joseph and his response, what it meant for him in that moment and how he responded with obedience. Because what we see is that this command of God, this would have meant for him to abandon the whole life that he'd planned. I mean, for one thing, everyone would have, they would not have been able to understand why he would marry Mary, who had someone else's child. They probably would have had to move towns the home that he had started to build, his business would all have been abandoned. Plus, this meant that he was going to be dad to the Messiah. And that's overwhelming for anyone, right? How do you do that? All of this would have meant that it would have been very, very difficult for him to say yes. And yet, that's what he does. Let's look at his response and then we're going to see how he gets there. Verse 24 and 25, the angel speaks and here's what Joseph does. Joseph woke from his sleep, And he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, the surprising thing there, I think, is that Joseph didn't say anything. He just did it, which is amazing. If you think about it, that really is what obedience is all about, right? To be obedient doesn't mean to talk about the command, doesn't mean to make plans to obey the command, doesn't mean to though wrestle back and forth. To be obedient means you actually do it. And Joseph did right away without a word. This should say something to us. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, no doubt you, I know know we as people of God, we tend to talk a lot about our intentions of following the Lord. Right? We tend to talk a lot about, man, I really want to grow closer to the Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to be you know, more part of the church. We, we talk a lot, but we don't always actually do a lot. There's very often a disconnect because, because it's difficult, because there's things in our lives for all sorts of reasons. But see, for Joseph, I mean, if anyone would have had a reason to maybe press the pause button or ask a few questions or try to wrestle and figure things out, it would be Joseph in this call of obedience, but he doesn't do that. He just gets up and he goes and he does it exactly like the angel said. And in that amazing picture of obedience, there is, there is insight and instruction for us as the people of God. Because we also have things that we are being called to, things, areas where we are called to be obedient. And so we're going to ask the same sort of question. How, how then was Joseph able to be obedient? And there's two things that we see. One is that Joseph was able to be obedient because he was in the habit of being obedient. See, this amazing step of obedience was not the first step of obedience Joseph had ever taken. In fact, there were probably thousands of steps leading up to this one. We know that because in verse 19, uh, it says, Joseph being a just man. That means that he was a man of God. He was a righteous man. That means that he knew uh, the commands of God. And that he had a habit in his life of actually doing what God had told him to do. That, that he was faithful. That if you were to know Joseph, you would say, yeah, Joseph, man, he's a good guy. He, he does what God told He's faithful. He's, he's obedient in the small things of his life. And because he had a pattern of obedience, when it came to this big step of faith, he made it naturally. This is always the way it works when uh, we are pursuing excellence in any area of human activity. This was an excellent, an almost perfect response of obedience. And the reason that he had this level of excellence is because he was practiced at it. He had a habit of it. I'm going to show you uh, another example of this kind of um, faithfulness, this kind of uh, practice, and this kind of excellence. Uh, this is uh, a story uh, of a large uh, rock face called El Capitan uh, in Yosemite National Park. Now, this is obviously just a big slab of rock. It's super tall, I don't know how tall it is. And this now has become a favorite uh, haunt of rock climbers, uh, obviously. But for a long time, uh, El Capitan was considered to be impossible to climb. In fact, it wasn't until the late 50s that someone even attempted it. It took a team of climbers a year to put in handholds and, like, the, you know, they drive things into the rock and they could attach their ropes. And then after a year of planning, they finally scaled the the whole rock face, and it took them 11 days to do it. It was an amazing feat. And since then, people have been pushing the envelope. Climbers every year are trying to do it faster, trying to do it quicker. As you go through the the decades, uh, team after team climbed it more quickly, and then people started to climb it without any ropes, because climbers are a little crazy. And Lynn Hill in 1993 was a woman who climbed part of the rock face, and then in 2015, another duo climbed another part of it called the Dawn Wall, and they would do it without ropes. It's called free solo climbing, and it was incredible. People were like, man, this is so great. Until this year, when the definitive climb of El Capitan happened, uh, it was climbed by Alex Honnold. Uh, He climbed the entire rock face, which no one had done, and he did it in three hours and 56 minutes. Here is a picture of him uh, climbing up, no ropes. Uh, he, He did this amazing climb, a climb which National Geographic called the moon landing of free climbing. This blew everyone's mind. It was, it was the perfect climb in so many ways, an example of excellence in climbing. And what we need to see is that this climb did not just happen on that day. He didn't just wake up that day or the day before and say, I think I will go climb El Capitan without a rope. He... Of course not, right? He's been practicing. His whole life is dedicated to climbing. And in particular, he had been practicing and climbing on that mountain for two years. He had worked it so well so that he knew every part of the, of the mountain. He knew exactly where he was going to go. In fact, this is, um, this is what he said after he had climbed it. He said, there was no uncertainty on this. I knew exactly what to do the whole way. A lot of the handholds feel like old friends. So just picture that he he's gone up. it so often that when it came to the day when he was going to try to do it his fastest and, and set the record and he knew exactly what to do because he had done it so many times before. And that's, that's the way it is for us in our spiritual walk. If you are looking to be a man or a woman who is obedient to the word of God, then that happens firstly in the small things of our life that we begin by being in the word. That we're attentive to what God has to say to us and that we look for opportunities to be faithful. That we have open ears to the spirit of God, to how he's leading us. And that as we begin a pattern of obedience, God will give us more and more opportunities to be obedient to his word, to honor him, to help others. What we see in Joseph is that godly character doesn't just happen. Joseph was was used to stepping out in faith and obedience. And so this, even though this step was like a giant leap of faith forward, it was a direction that he was used to going in. It was not a departure from his pattern of life. And so the question, I think, for us, as we look back on our life, is what kind of pattern do we have? Can we look back and see a pattern of obedience? A pattern of faithfulness? Can we see those opportunities that, that we've maybe missed and look back and said, man, I, I wish I had been obedient there. Have we learned from them? Are we looking to the future and saying, Lord, would you help me to see where it is that I can be obedient, how I can be faithful? And God, would you, would you give me the strength by your spirit so that I might prove to be obedient and faithful in the small things? And that when you give me a, a big thing, Lord, that I will be faithful there too. So in Joseph, we have an example of someone who is, who is obedient. It was a habit of his life. But the other thing we see, I think even the bigger reason why he would have responded the way he did is that Joseph saw the big picture of this situation. See, the angel came. I want to read verse 21 again. This is what the angel said to him. uh, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now that language for Joseph, it would have been very specific. He would have known that that's messianic language. So he would have understood right away that what's going on here is not just an isolated miracle of God. Like sometimes that happens, right? In the Old Testament, there's a miracle births that, that happen and God is just uh, doing something in that specific time. But that's not all this is. This isn't just a movement of God. This is the movement of God. This is, this is the Messiah who is coming to answer the essential problem of humanity, which is sin. And so for Joseph... Joseph would have understood right away the big picture of what God is doing. But uh, Matthew, who who wrote the book of Matthew, uh, he wanted to make sure that we, the reader, also understood. And so he inserted two verses, verses 22 and 23, just to explain what's going on here. So here's what he writes. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what Matthew was saying to his readers is, hey, just to make sure we're all clear, about a thousand years ago, there was a prophet named Isaiah. This is a quote from Isaiah 714. And there God spoke through Isaiah to encourage, at the time it was King Ahaz, and he was trying to encourage him and give him a sort of a confirmation that the line of David would not be extinguished. But what it really meant was that it would be a sign to announce and to validate the coming Messiah. That there would be a day, which is now in Joseph's day today, when a child would be born of a virgin and that child would be the Messiah, the one who was coming to save all of humanity from their sins. And so for Joseph, this wasn't just an issue of one sort of isolated thing that God was calling him to. What he saw was the big picture of God's plan and that clarified his role within it. See, that's essential for obedience. We will only really be obedient especially to God's plan if we understand our role. Understanding your role is key, and it's one of the things that toddlers are very, very confused about. (laughs) Toddlers are confused about their role in the family. They are under the impression that they are in charge of the family, which is not surprising, because ever since they've been born, the family has served them. Anytime they cry, anytime they're fussed, someone comes and changes them, feeds them, right? Deals with them, anything, any mess they make, someone comes and cleans it up. And then when they're three years old and they are, you know, living as the Lord of the family and they go around and they smash things and wreck things because it's fun and they expect people to clean it up. They're so surprised when their parents are upset. And they're like, they kind of look up, like, what are you talking about? I, I rule this place. Why are you getting upset? Just clean it up. That's what you always do. They're very confused about their role, and so their obedience is very, very minimal. In fact, it's only through the uh, consistent and loving discipline of mom and dad that they will hopefully be clarified about their role. That's what they need. If not, and I think we've seen this, if you have an older child, teenager, adult, who is not sure about their role, they will not be obedient because they will still live their lives as if they are the center of the universe. In fact, that's how we all tend to lean that way, don't we? We know that God's in charge, but in my life, man, I really feel like the main character. I really feel like the protagonist. And God feels more like like a Mr. Miyagi or a Shifu character, right? Kind of a wise guy off to the side who gives us advice, gives us good counsel, and we kind of take it sometimes or we don't. But really, it's my plans that I want to see happen. And when things get kind of messed up, our obedience suffers. We have have, um, a tension there. Because we're trying to reconcile the fact that, man, this is not what I was going to do today or with my life. And now God is speaking to me and it's hard to submit our plans to the plans of God. Or I should say, it's only hard if we are confused about our role. But when we recognize that that God is sovereign over the entire universe and that his plans supersede every other plan, not just because he's God, but because it's a better plan then we will come to see that our role in in the universe is to support and to be part of what God is doing. And in fact, that's what Joseph sees. He sees this big plan. He sees his role in it. And so right away, immediately, this is the incredible thing, he right away just puts all of his life plans off to the side. And he gets up and goes immediately and does what God has called him to do. But it's because he sees the magnitude of what God is doing. And this also is something that I think we know. Whenever there's a situation that is where the stakes are high, like, I mean, life and death situation, we, we all immediately drop whatever we're doing and we go and help. Uh, I remember when I was uh, a child, like 10 or 11, I was driving with my dad um, down uh, Como Lake Avenue right near our house and was coming up to Robinson, just up in Coquitlam. And we were driving with my friend. I don't know where we were going. I forget. But what I remember is there's a pickup truck that cut across the intersection, hit a telephone pole and, and crashed and fell on its side. And we were kind of stunned all of a sudden. And my dad pulled over the car right away. We jumped out and went over to help. And the, the man driving the, the truck had not been wearing a seatbelt. And the window was open. And so he was actually kind of being crushed. He was out partially outside of the window being crushed by the car. And so there's a bunch of people that came and we all kind of looked at each other. And then someone said, we got to push the truck. So all of us were leaning on the truck to kind of get the the pressure off him. Uh, He was alive. He was bleeding. And we did that for a long while until the paramedics came, the the fire engine came. They had this uh, mat that they could inflate with air. And then it held the truck up and they could get the man out and take him to uh, the hospital. But here's what I want us to see. When we saw that truck crash, we didn't stop for a moment and think about the plans we had for that day, right? We didn't say, oh man, uh, is the mall going to be closed by the time we do this? Because we, I needed to get a few things. We, we, didn't, we didn't evaluate whether we should keep doing all the things that we had planned to do. We saw someone who was clearly needed help. It was an issue of life and death. We got out of the car. We went and we pushed everything else to the side. That's, that's always what happens. That's why we pull over to the side of the road when there's an ambulance coming down the street. Because that takes precedence. It's, it's an issue of life and death. What we sometimes forget is that the Christmas story is that kind of story. It's a story about humanity who is in peril. Not just an issue of life and death, but eternal life, eternal death. At this moment, when Joseph was living, the people of God, they, they were really, they were low on their hope. Their hope levels were, were running very, very low because God had not spoken to them for about 400 years. No prophet had been there. They were under oppression from the Romans. They were wondering how are we ever going to get liberated from the Romans or even sin? Like God had said, he prophesied there'd be a Messiah coming. We haven't seen any, any sign of him. How is this going to work out for our good? God, are you there? Are you listening? How is humanity going to be saved? And then an angel comes and speaks to Joseph and says, look, the child that is in Mary is, is there by the Holy Spirit. And he is going to come and save his people from their sins. And so Joseph, I mean, in light of that, understanding that the magnitude of that plan that God is doing and seeing his role in it, he, he naturally puts his plans to the side and he goes and does what God is calling him to do. This is true for us in every area of our life. That all of us are being called. God is working. God has greater plans than we can even imagine. And there are going to be times where we are called to obedience that we we don't fully understand. But we see God working. And we want to be part of it. But specifically for the Christmas story. Do do you see that we still have a role to play? That the plan of God's salvation is still unfolding? I mean, yes, Jesus has come. He came in, in grace and compassion and obedience. Jesus himself was obedient to the father's plan. He came and he, he was born as a human being. he lived the perfect life, earning our righteousness. He went to the cross atoning for our death. He went back up to heaven, but before he left, he he gave us a role to play. He said, go and make disciples. Everyone for them to be saved. They need to hear about the message of salvation. They, They need to, Come to a place where someone explains to them their sin and what I've done to save them. And that means they need to hear the good news. That's, that's you, the church. I'm sending you out so that you can tell people about the good news. It's a role that we have as servants of God. One that supersedes all the other things in our life. And at Christmas, what a beautiful opportunity. I want to show you another picture. Just to get in our minds what it is that Jesus imagines when he thinks of the church. This is a picture, a parable that he tells about the kingdom of God. And he describes God himself as a master of a house who's prepared a wedding feast. And all of the invited guests have rejected his invitation. And so here's what the master says to the servants. He says, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, what Jesus is saying is he has prepared a feast of salvation. And that there are many, many people in our world who who are hungry for it. But they need to hear about the feast. They need to be invited in. And the opportunity we have at Christmas as the church is is to say, man, what a great time of celebration. Would you come and celebrate with us? Would you come Christmas Eve and hear the the true story of Christmas? And in that, my hope for you is that you will find what you are missing in your life, that you will come and celebrate, you will come and hear the story. Our role is, is the servants in this parable. We are being sent out and told to invite others in. And for us specifically, as Tri-City Church, we have, we have a Christmas Eve celebration, services. We're doing four of them because we want to make sure there's enough room for everyone. And we have invitations because we want for us as a church to be compassionate and obedient and loving to our community. And at least give them the opportunity to come and hear. To hear the grand message of salvation. And it comes because we see the big picture. We see our role. And we, we find our strength In the person of Christ himself, who because of his compassion came to earth, because of his obedience came to earth. It led him to the cross, back up to heaven, which is where we will end up. But the hope, the hope remains for those who know and believe in him. And we have the joy of telling others. So I'm going to pray for us as we close. And my hope this week leading up to Christmas Eve is that that will be in our minds and hearts that we will grab some invitations, that we will think of those around us who don't yet know that hope and joy, and that we will pray for opportunities to be faithful and invite them in. So let's pray together. God, thank you for the Christmas season. Thank you, Lord, for this, this little snapshot, this little part of the Christmas story, the first family of Christmas with Joseph. God, it's inspiring and it's uh, exciting, Lord, because in Joseph we see a foreshadow of you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, you who are, who are compassionate beyond measure, obedient to the perfect call of God, God, I pray that that would be true of us. I pray, Lord, you would help us to see the big picture of what you're doing in our lives, in, the, in our community and through our church. And God, I pray for those here who know you, God, that we would see this as, as the joy of the season. And Lord, for those that are not yet part of a church, those that are here, Lord, I pray, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them more fully and that they too would find this hope the hope of Christmas, and the hope of Christ. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.